Well, I've got a word for us today that I'm excited to bring, and uh, I've been trying to break it down, and then break it down again, and then break it down again. So hopefully live here, uh, it's not too much. But I wanted to talk about the story we find uh, in Hezekiah's life. Who loves Hezekiah, right? I was just sharing this, this story of Hezekiah recently, and uh, it's been in my heart. And I was, I've been just kind of mulling it over inside me and wondering if I should bring it. And if I should, then when the time would be. And I, uh, we find this story in Isaiah. We find it in Second Chronicles. And we also find it in Second Kings. And also, he's mentioned throughout the Bible. But I'm going to start here just to try to keep this as simple as possible. I'm going to bring us quite a bit of text, but I'll just try to keep it moving and, and logical. Who's with me? And we just pray one more time. Lord, I pray that you just bring your word. You speak your word to us, that we would hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. I want us to look quickly first before we talk about Hezekiah. We have to go a chapter earlier into 2 Chronicles chapter 28. In order to really understand who Hezekiah was and what he was doing, you have to understand the problem he inherited. Everybody say, he inherited a problem. The Bible says that Ahaz, his father, this is in 2 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 1, he did not do what was pleasing in the sight of the Lord. He was an evil king. He worshipped Baal. And he sacrificed his own sons in the fire. This is Hezekiah's father. And it says in verse 5 that because of all this, the Lord God allowed the king of Aram. So this foreign king, a neighboring kingdom, comes and God allows this kingdom to defeat Ahaz. And they carry off large numbers of his people to Damascus. And it says in verse 16 that King Ahaz, instead of searching and seeking out God, instead of calling on the name of the Lord, instead of just finally repenting of their sin, he calls on the king of Assyria. Now, this is ironic because if you know your Bible, we're about to hear a lot about the king of Assyria, aren't we? But what he doesn't realize is that this is not God's, well, it is God's plan, but it's not what God wanted for them. Amen. Does that, anybody get that? Right? God sometimes God has a plan, but it's not what he wants. God didn't some people think that God always intended for Adam and Eve to sin just so he could bring Jesus. I don't see it that way. I just see God is so big, so powerful, so without understanding that he already had Jesus because it says it was before time. He was already there, but I see time like a like a circle, and in fact, even science is starting to see it that way. It's more like a circle than a, than a line, right? It's not a timeline, but just blips of, of time, things going on at the same exact time, right? So I don't see it that way. So I don't see that God sent, always planned on destroying Israel just so he could bring Jesus and prove his goodness. I just see that this is human nature. These are the choices we're making, and so God always has a solution. Amen. But God sends, uh, he allows Assyria to come in, except what happens is Assyria tricks King Ahaz, and instead of helping him, now he's attacked from both sides. Now he's attacked by the king of Aram, and now he's attacked by the king of Assyria. And so verse 21 says that Ahaz took 
valuable items from the Lord's temple, the royal palace, and from the homes of the officials, and he gave them to the king of Assyria as tribute. He gave a tribute to the king of Assyria to buy him off. It says, but this did not help him. And it says, verse 22, that even though this was happening, King Ahaz, he doesn't call on the Lord. He tries to use natural resources. He tries to use the world against the world. Tries to use one devil against another devil. Sometimes we're trying to get out of a plan and purpose that's not of God that the enemy's putting on us, and we don't realize that we're in a demonic war from one demon to another, right? You got your own issue going on, and then, you know, and then you're calling on, uh, on, on help that's not God. We don't realize it, but this is what's going on, and, and the, the answer is always the same. The end of my sermon, I might as well just tell it to you now, the answer is always that it's just to call on the Lord. Might as well tell you the end of the sermon right now. And so let's just hear that. It's always the same answer. It's always been and always will be. And so it says that he took, verse 24, various articles from the temple of God. He broke them into pieces. He shut the doors of the Lord's temple so that no one could worship there. And in, in their place, he set up altars to pagan gods. Now, that's important because King Hezekiah, verse uh, chapter 29, in order to understand what's going on here, chapter 29, Hezekiah is born, he becomes king. It says there in verse 1 and in verse 2, he does what's pleasing. That's a contrast to his father. And in verse 3, in the very first month of the first year of his reign, Hezekiah reopened the doors of the temple. So the reason I read to you chapter 28 is, what do you mean he reopened the doors? What doors have they been closed? How long have they been closed? His father closed them, and we have this thing going on with Assyria, which we're about to see again. So Hezekiah goes on a mission, actually, to turn things around that his father and his ancestors had, had messed up, and uh, he repairs uh, the temple, and then just quickly here, verse 4, he summons the priests and Levites to meet him in the courtyard east of the temple, and he tells them, purify yourselves, purify the temple, remove the defiled things, and in verse 18, the Levites report, we've cleansed the temple, verse 19, we've recovered all the items discarded by your father, King Ahaz, when he was unfaithful. And, and he closed the temple there. It's now open. The altar's ready for use. It's purified. They say we have plenty of offerings, more than we need. And in verse 36, it says, And Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced because of what God had done for the people, for everything had been accomplished so quickly. Amazing, isn't it? Who's excited so far? Who's just excited to hear that? That's enough of a sermon already. That when a people decide, you know, it's not rocket science to turn to God. The devil just gets us all bound up and gets us trapped. It's very simple. You need to tear down the things that have been built up in your life. It doesn't matter how they got there. Some things, people, they want to complain, I was born into this thing. It's not my fault. This person did this to me. That person did that, whatever. And it's always a story. And it's just, it's very simple. We need to turn to the Lord, and we need to turn away 
from this world. That's the simplicity of the gospel. The only reason it's hard is because we get in our heads or, and, and, and we just don't want to do it. We would prefer to do what we want to do. We either like what the world is offering us or we don't trust God. It's that, it's that simple. You can see right through the Bible is only one of two things. They either didn't trust him or they wanted the sin. That's it. So if we trust God, we cast off the sin, we call on him, God is always faithful. I find the same trend throughout my word. God always judges sin. Ready for this? And, the, and, and in the, a mirror of that, every single time they humble themselves, God gives them grace. And he gives us the same grace through the blood of Christ. Amen. So some more amazing things happen in 2 Chronicles chapter 30. King Hezekiah continues. He doesn't just stop there. One of the amazing things that he does is he restores the Passover. And what's interesting is uh, the Passover, it was a month late. They couldn't quite get things in order. And God still accepts it, even though it wasn't even at the time it was supposed to be. It was a month late. God actually still accepts this Passover and honors the people for doing it. And Hezekiah does something amazing. He does something in 2 Chronicles chapter 30, verse 6. Hezekiah sends out runners. And this is awesome. He sends out runners. And he tells them, go run around because we need to get this thing together quickly. We're already, it's not going to happen in time. He sends out runners, tells them, let's, let's do this. This is what God has called us, and this has, been, this has been pushed aside. We need to come back to this, come back to the things of God. And it says that, verse uh, 10, most of the people just laughed at the runners and made fun of them. I don't want to keep preaching in, in the middle of my preaching because I'm trying to get through the text and then I'm going to bring some points out. But I must say, don't be afraid that people laugh at you. You run to them. There's an urgency. We are running for the kingdom of God. Amen. And, but don't be afraid that people are laughing at you. Don't be afraid. This is how it's always been and will always be, unfortunately. That's sad. That breaks our heart. But it is a reality that we must come to terms with and just keep running. All right? Don't stop just because they're laughing and because they're mocking you. Just keep running. And then it says, verse 18, that most of those who came from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun had not purified themselves. Now, we don't quite know if it's because they laughed, but then they came anyway, or some laughed and then others came. It's not quite clear. It doesn't really matter for right now. But the Bible says this, King Hezekiah intercedes for them. He prays for them, and it says that they were allowed to eat the Passover meal anyway, even though it was contrary to the requirements of the law, because Hezekiah prays, may the Lord who is good Pardon those, or your translation might say, make atonement. Now, this is very interesting because we have a Passover meal and atonement. Who hears some key words? I know Dawn's head's dinging right now. If you start know, if you know your Bible, that scarlet thread, right? The things that the whole Bible, how it connects from Genesis to Revelation. We have mention of atonement at Passover, and we also see Christ in Hezekiah that even though actually the law was not actually fulfilled properly because of grace, just because of a humble heart, somebody who stood in the gap, and because they said, Lord, we want you, even though we don't know how to do it, we're making a mess of things. His grace was more than the law. It, it, it was greater than the law, and it says, 
that verse 19, uh, to pardon those who decide to follow the Lord, the God of their ancestors, even though they are not properly cleansed for the ceremony. And verse 20 says, and the Lord listened to Hezekiah's prayer and healed the people. Isn't that powerful? So Hezekiah was an amazing man. He inherited uh, a nation. And in fact, you know, this is, a, this is not a political sermon. I had no intention even mentioning the fact that it's a nation. We just read Israel as a, you know, as a, as a metaphor in our Bible. But, you know, we did inherit a nation. Everybody inherited a time frame, right? You also inherited a nation, didn't you? You inherited a presidency. You inherited, you know, whether it's the, you know, some, some that remember their time, uh, you know, of the, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, 80s, the 90s. I think we've got all those generations in here, right, today. Think about, right? We're pretty close to that. So we're all in here. In, we've inherited this time, this era, this nation, your family, etc. You've inherited your life. And it comes with all kinds of things, where you're born, what you're born into. And um, as I just said a moment ago, Hezekiah and the people decide to break, finally just make a break. It doesn't matter who did what, how it was done. Let's seek the Lord. Let's call on the Lord. And in fact, even made maybe uh, some things in error. Everything wasn't quite orderly, but their heart was for God. It was a humble heart. And we see God's grace and his mercy come in. Amen. So something happens. Everybody say, something's about to happen. All right, so that's not the story. This is all just, to, I, I need to prep us to see, okay, this is God's, these are God's people. These are people that love God. These are people that want God. And we see God answering their prayers and God's grace. And it says in 2 Chronicles 31, verse 21, in all that he did in the service of the temple of God and in his efforts to follow God's law and commands, Hezekiah sought his God wholeheartedly. Say that word out loud with me, wholeheartedly. I didn't know that that was in this text. That's a key word the Lord has given me for 2024, wholeheartedly, right? It's been coming up in our sermons, and in fact, each time I go to preach a sermon, I go into a topic or a character I'm reading through, and there I find that key word without that being the emphasis of today's sermon. There it is again, and as a result, he was very successful. Praise God. In 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 7, it says, the Lord was with Hezekiah, and he was successful in everything he did. And it says that Hezekiah revolted against the king of Assyria and refused to pay him tribute. So a little history here. What's happening in this time is Assyria has coming in and they're conquering. This is the greatest nation of all time. This would have been Germany, World War II. This is essentially what's happening. And they have spread out, and they're conquering one nation after another. And Israel is just a puny, tiny little nation for them to just flick off the map. It's no big deal for them when you look at it in the natural. And so they have taken all the nations around Israel. You can go back and you can do your own history. This, this is what I love is that the Bible, here we have a a historical story 
that the Bible is bringing God into it, God's story and God's people into it. And you really can't, you know, they can try to say the Bible is, you know, it's been, you know, it's been misunderstood, mistranslated, whatever. And here it is. Here's some history. There's nothing that they, they can't argue. Um, and I'm going to bring that up in a moment because they found some archaeological artifacts. <laughs> That's quite a word. Uh, to prove uh, that Hezekiah was real and that he and Sennacherib, who we're about to mention, had a head-to-head. But what happens is, is Israel, the ten tribes, right? Um, Hezekiah is king of the southern tribe of Judah, right? Israel had split up. There was ten tribes called Israel or the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom. Who knows your Bible history? And what happens is, Israel just refuses to repent. God's given them, the Bible tells us that he gave them offer after offer after offer and so on. I could just spend the next, I could spend the next 30 minutes just reading scriptures and I would not have enough time of all the prophets and all the times that God warned them to repent and turn because this is what's going to happen. So they refuse and um, Assyria comes in and takes them. That's it. They're gone. In fact, that's the last time historically that we ever hear about them. They get somehow, they are merged a little bit with Samaria. So there's a little bit there, and some of them obviously got, but they got scattered throughout the world as far as we know. We don't know. But Judah's left. That's it. And here's King Hezekiah. And it says that in the 14th year of his reign, he refuses. He's like, I'm not paying tribute. My father paid you tribute, and all these other nations are cowering to you. This tiny little speck on the map. When you look at Israel, when you look at Judah, you look at the territory he had. Who is this guy to stand up to this, this world superpower? It would have been, at this time, the greatest superpower in the world. One of the greatest that the world has ever seen. Um, and so here he is, and it says that he... Uh, that King Sennacherib comes in to attack the fortified towns, verse 13, and to conquer them. And so King Hezekiah, he, he sends the message back to the king of Assyria at Lachish. He says, I've done wrong. Now, we love talking about the story of Hezekiah, but this part of it's not usually brought up. Where what we usually bring up about him going and praying, which I'm about to, but most people, when they preach a story, because it's such a triumphant finish, and it will be at this sermon, we're going to finish triumphant, but most people leave this part out because it's definitely a dig. In fact, in Chronicles, I switched over to Kings, if you notice, to read this story, because in Chronicles, you don't find this. But it says in Kings that what he did initially was he said, I've done wrong, I will pay whatever tribute money you demand if you will only withdraw. The king of Assyria then demanded a settlement of more than 11 tons of silver and one ton of gold. Now, this is very interesting because his father tried to pay the tribute to Assyria. It apparently held them off enough that they weren't completely conquered. But we just read in Chronicles 28 that it, it wasn't enough that this enemy was still always at their gates. I want you to hear a key word today, the enemy at your gate. The enemy at your gate. There's always an enemy 
at your gate. If you call on the Lord, if you know the Lord, I need you to hear this today. There's always an enemy at your gate. That's just how it is. Don't get upset by that. Don't get frustrated. Don't think, don't spend, waste your life saying why. Why, 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 why? Why is the devil still allowed to roam the earth? God, why don't you just kill him now? We all go to heaven. Don't waste your time doing that. Just know that we are in Christ. We are somehow in his kingdom, in him, but also still on the earth. And he's in us. Praise God. And we have his name, his power, his angels, his blood. All right. So just come to terms with the fact that the devil is still roaming and there's still an enemy knocking at your gates. It's not even your fault. It's not, it's not you that he's here. He's been here before you, but you've inherited it. And so the Bible says to gather this amount. Now, this is shocking. This is, in, this is insane because Hezekiah just devoted his life to putting the temple back together. He devoted his life to bringing all these things. That's why I spent all that time to, to, to prep us here to go through his story because he just devoted his life to the temple and to put the priests in order, and he gave them their jobs back. You know, they had been scattered, and that was very common that the priest, you know, they would close the temple, and then they would just go back to work. So he put God's people back where they needed to be, gave them the resources, and then it says that now Hezekiah is stripping in order to get this amount, he, is, he has to use all the silver stored in the temple of the Lord and the palace treasury. In verse 16, and he even stripped the gold from the doors of the Lord's temple and from the doorpost he had overlaid with gold, and he gave it to the Assyrian king. Isn't that amazing? Hezekiah is an amazing man. I'm still going to... I'm still going to give him honor in heaven today sit with the Lord. He's still an amazing man, and he, he ends his life triumphant, and his story is amazing, and we are going to read that, that conclusion in a moment, as I keep promising. But for a moment in his life, he turns back to patterns. He turned, he went to, we call them knee-jerk reactions, right? He went back to, the, to what we all just we know to do. This has worked before. And, and basically, he didn't trust God, turned away from God for a moment. I mean, that's maybe we could argue, what else are you supposed to do? Maybe he could argue that it wasn't unspiritual. It was just, you know, um, wasn't that he didn't love God, but he just uh, uh, panicked. God still loved him, still had grace, but he didn't know how else to, to fend off from this enemy, and this could uh, buy him some time, and they could still have their they could still have their home, and he's justifying, well, we're not losing everything, we're just losing some things. We're losing a portion, but we're not gonna I'm not gonna stop the temple worship, but we're gonna lose some of its glory. I mean, that's really what the gold represented. They put the gold there because we know in heaven, right, we know that from our Bible that heaven is made of gold, right, pure gold. And so the, the, the temple here on the earth was actually modeled after God. So essentially what he was doing is robbing some of God's glory. And that is what he was doing by not trusting God. You guys can hear the metaphor. I hope you, your minds are clicking and you can hear the metaphor. They're taking some of God's glory when we don't trust God, we're stripping God of his glory. When we trust the world or trust ourselves or our instincts more than we trust God, we are stripping God of his glory. And so what happens is it says, verse 17, Nevertheless, 
the king of Assyria sent his commander-in-chief, and he says, he begins to taunt them. It wasn't enough. Everybody say it's never enough. You can't pay off the devil. All right, you cannot pay off. You cannot. There is no solution. Let me just hear this as a generic term to anything you face, anything you're going through, any obstacle. There is no solution except the Lord. Anything else will only be temporary, and I promise you, even though the devil comes back, even when you use the name of Jesus, he comes back then too. But then I can keep using his name. But certainly when I don't use his name, guess what? And, and you think, you know, I bought, you know, I bought my freedom. All you did was buy some time. And so in 2 Kings chapter 18, now, and, and you know, I think I can identify with him because we're all human beings. So, We've all made mistakes. We've all tried. You don't realize you're trying to do, you know, that you're not trusting God, but we, we're just, you know, you're working or you're struggling trying to get through this existence, right? The, the world, we got the glass half full and the glass half empty people. They're both wrong. Neither is really right, right? We are in a sin-filled world, right, trapped uh, for a time in, a, in really in a prison, but through Christ, you know, and Paul gave us that, Jesus gave us that on the cross, we can be triumphant in this prison just, for, you know, for a time, and then we're going to be with God in glory. He's going to create a new heaven and a new earth, all right? It's not really good things, bad things. It's a cursed existence, and the only break is the Lord. Amen. Hopefully I'm making some sense here. But this is what happens, it says in, in second, second Kings chapter 18. So now he comes, and, and it's a very, very long taunt. So I can't, for time, go through the whole thing. But just some of the highlights. He says, uh, the king of Assyria comes, and, and they, they pronounce this against Israel, uh, against Judah, rather, and Hezekiah, uh, and says, perhaps you will say to me, verse 22, we are trusting in the Lord our God. And then he begins to say, with your tiny army, verse 24, how can you think of challenging me? Verse 25, what's more, do you think we invaded your land without the Lord's direction? Now already, when I hear these verses, because I think of the whole Bible at once, and my mind's like a funnel, I can't help it, one thought just starts blending with all the other thoughts of the Bible, crisscrossing with all the verses. I'm hearing Satan talk to Jesus on the mountain. Who hears it? Right? He's, he's spitting out some facts. He's spitting, spitting out facts. And Dan gave me this revelation. I stole it from him. Now it's my revelation. I heard once that uh, you first you have to quote. You have to say, so and so said. Then the second time you say, this is what I always say. Right? First, you have to quote them, but then you can say, I've said, this is what I've said before. Third time, rather, is, this is what I always say. But Dan told me once, and it's so amazing, the devil spits off facts, but God is truth. That's not the exact words, but that's the concept, right? The concept is there are facts, and then there is truth. The devil will remind you of facts. These are the things going on in your life. This is what's in your body. 
This is what's going on in your marriage. These are, these are the things going on in your nation, right? And the devil likes to spit off facts, and then he's going to try to trap you and say, you're never going to break free, so just cower to me. Maybe he doesn't say those exact words to you, but that's what he's looking for you to do, to bow down to him. It's exactly what Jesus said to, to uh, what Satan said to Jesus. Listen, just bow down to me now, and I'll give you this world. So it says, do you think that I haven't done this with God's power? Now, just like Satan did with Eve, what he does is he takes facts and he mixes it together like poison and ice cream, right? Right? A little bit of good, a little bit of evil, because there's some truth in there. There's truth in facts, but it's not all truth. And the fact is that God did allow Assyria to go into all the nations surrounding, and finally to conquer Israel because of their rebellion. So from Assyria's point of view, they're thinking, well, God told us to do this. So it says, it says verse uh, 29, don't let Hezekiah deceive you. He will never be able to rescue you from my power. Now, this is a very interesting taunt because... The, the Lord allows the devil to roam for a season for his purposes. We'll just leave it at that. I'm not going to get into all the details, but for his grand purpose, God in heaven, God on his throne, one day wrapping it all up, all of us with him forever, worshiping him, glorifying him, and being a family for eternity. Satan's a part of that story for now. All right, And it's just a part of it. We'll leave that there, but let me say this. Uh, when he begins to taunt, though, when Satan, when people rise up in pride in, under Satan's power, that's when you're going to see God, right? Who has heard it? I'm not going to, you guys, if you know the quotes, there's a famous quote, I'm not going to say who said it, but he said I, I, he was more popular than Jesus Christ, and he was shot very quickly after that. When somebody, there's one thing, somehow God allows the devil, and God allows pride, and God, but once people say that God is not going to be able, that they, they, when they rise above God, I'm greater than him. He's not going to be able to stop me. You better watch out. And that's exactly what's about to happen for him. And he says, but the point here in his, in, in his taunt, though, is that Hezekiah is lying to you. God's not going to do it. And so he says, these are the terms. Verse 31. Satan's always trying to make terms with you. He says, make peace with me. Open the gates. You could even hear it as open doors. Open doors. Open the gates to your life. You know, we literally have that term in Christianity, open doors. All right, we close the doors to the enemy. We open the doors to Christ. Last week I preached on that, opening the, opening the gate to Christ, closing the gates to hell. And here it is. He says, open the gates to me, make peace with me. He says, then each of you, you can continue eating from your own grapevine and fig tree and drinking from your own well. Not forever, right? I'm going to give you a one-year contract. It's like one of those sign ball, you know, uh, contracts. I'm going to give you one year. You can just keep continuing. But then, uh, by the way, then I'll arrange to take you to another land like this one, a land of grain and new wine and bread and vineyards. Well, it's starting to sound really good. 
olive groves and, and honey. And he says, the NLT translates it like this. I think it's interesting. He basically says, you can either choose to live or choose to die. And I love that the NLT says this because Satan tries to use the words of God. And it says, choose life instead of death. Choose life instead of death. But it's a lie, isn't it? Just like Satan lied to Eve and just like Satan was lying to Jesus, the, the enemy is always trying to get you to open doors to him. And you may be like, what do you mean? Maybe it's the television you're watching. Maybe it's the friends that you're hanging out with. Maybe it's the jobs you're doing. I mean, the, it's limitless on what, what the different tactics to use. Maybe it's just, you know, you don't need to give your life fully to God. I know you, God knows you love him. You, you don't need to pray. You don't need to, he knows you care about him. You say his name all the time. You don't need to spend so much time with him. Spend some more time for you. What about you? What about your happiness? What about your joy? These are some of the lies that he spouts off, and it opens doors to him into your life. And he's offering you a golden brick road, right? He's offering you the world, just like he offered Jesus. And he says, you don't want to stay trapped I'm going to stay outside here, and I'm going to, he says to them, you're going to be so hungry, you're going to drink your own urine and eat your own dung. If you stay inside, that's what's going to happen to you. But if you'll just open the door, if you keep following Jesus, your life is going to be miserable. That's what Satan begins to say, right? Listen, the beginning, it's a honeymoon. Then you follow Jesus, you're seeking him, and it's not so much a honeymoon any, anymore. Who's discovered that, right? But only because you're in, you're in this world, guys. We need to, that's, why, that's why I constantly remind us, as Jesus did, don't get so focused on this world because the enemy will try to get you to focus on here. He says, why do you want to stay trapped in that little walled city that I'm never, ever going to let you out of when all you have to do is just open the door, let me in, and I'm going to take you to a place where you can have anything you want. You know, because it's 12.03 already, I might as well get to some things here. Do you know the name Sennacherib? I began to do a study. In fact, I became so obsessed with this. I spent like two hours just studying out this king of Assyria. I'm going to come back to 2 Kings in a moment. But you know, no wonder he's taunting like this. No wonder he talks like this. Because his name literally means sin, not our sin. But I think that that, you know, it's amazing when... Uh, God's not, God's not um, like us. We think we're clever when we come up with something clever. God is wise. God's wisdom is amazing. He has, he, he somehow is able to be so many things at once. You know, he's judging one and giving grace to another simultaneously, right? And somehow God is connecting us together, even the fact that we're here today. But all the traffic around you is, come, you know, they're crisscrossing. They're going to wherever they're going today. And somehow you're like right in the midst of it to be here at this moment. And God's still God over all of it. And every single one of those people can turn to him at any moment. And, but here we are. And so God is amazing. God is so wise. It's just a coincidence that sin doesn't mean sin. But that's his name. Uh, it means the moon god, and it's, it's uh, Sennacherib is because it says sin harbarira, you know, something like that. The beginning is sin, 
The rest of it, you know, I'm not going to say. It's in the Akkadian language. We don't speak that. No one speaks it anymore. This is a very ancient Mesopotamian language and uh, maybe con possibly the earliest of languages in the, on the earth, uh, possibly the first civilization on earth that this comes from. And, but it means the moon god has replaced the brothers. That's his name. The moon god replaced his brothers. And I'm going to get into all the history, but somehow um, he wasn't first in line to be king, and he became king, and, and I'm not going to get into a whole historical lesson, but his brothers, you know, didn't make it. Let's leave it at that. His name, they discovered something to prove that this Bible story is real and that Hezekiah is real. Um, they found what's called the Sennacherib prism. And it is a six-sided clay prism, about 15 inches tall, written in Akkadian. And they found this in Assyria, which would be, you know, today, it's not Assyria, but that would be, that's right next door, it's in, in that Middle East region, that was their kingdom. And I'm not going to get into all the details how they found it, where they found it, but um, I'm pretty sure it's in Chicago right now on display. But this is what he wrote of himself. Now, Hezekiah is in there. There's, he talks about his exploits, and it actually talks about how he made Hezekiah pay him tribute. Now, on the other sides of this prism, it says that he conquered these nations, but it never says that he conquered Israel, only that Hezekiah paid him tribute. That's all that he could brag about, and we know that because his life's about to end before he finishes his final victory on Hezekiah. Amen. But this is what he wrote of himself, or whoever wrote, you know, somebody, you know, if you don't write something good, you're going to get killed, you know, we're going to we're going to behead you if you don't make it nice. But so whoever penned this out about him, this is his title. Sennacherib, the great king, the mighty king, king of the world, king of Assyria, king of the four quarters, the wise shepherd, favorite of the great gods, guardian of right, lover of justice, who lends support, who comes to the aid of destitute, who performs pious acts, perfect hero, mighty man, first among all princes, the powerful one who consumes the insubmissive, who strikes the wicked with the thunderbolt. That's his title. Now listen, you write a title like that on your stone, and I promise, I don't know when, and I don't know how many kingdoms you're going to conquer first. Listen, you know, some people think they've gotten away with sin, right? A lot of people even live their lives, and they seem to die without God's judgment. There is no such thing as getting away with it. I don't even want to imagine the suffering that they are, that they are going through if they never repented in hell. But you make these type of claims against the Lord, I promise you are not going to stand. This is his title. Now, that's very interesting. Who else does that sound like? Does that sound like anybody else in our Bible that we know of? And without getting into a big study of Satan, I don't, it doesn't really matter right now of where he came from or how he came or where he was before he was on the earth. But suddenly this guy's roaming the earth and he was uh, the epitome of pride. He fell like lightning, just some things, just, you know, some facts about him. And uh, it says in John 
that he was the ruler of this world. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says he was the God of this world. So we have Sennacherib saying that he is, they, and, and so did his father, they consider themselves the gods of the world. In fact, even Egypt, who maybe thought they were a god, they were nothing. He even taunts that Egypt's not going to touch me. So at this time in history of all the world, uh, Assyria was number one. And what happens is, is they get this taunt, and here's where the story comes to a conclusion. Who's ready for the exciting, the most exciting part of all? But it was very important to me to bring all this together because it wasn't just some simple thing that he comes in and says, hey, I want your land and Hezekiah prays. This was like a big, giant ordeal going on and uh, much bigger than we realize. And this was not just a battle. See, when we hear the scripture that says, you don't war against flesh and blood, all right? you're not warring against some, a person. This is a cosmic war between God and Satan. It's not even you that he's fighting against. See, we, we interpret it as we don't war against flesh and blood, principalities, powers, and rulers, darkness of this age, blah, 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 right? Okay. We hear that, and we think, okay, man, that means I need to war against those things because I'm not warring against the people. I'm warring against those things. That's not even, that's not even what the Scripture means. It's saying this is not even about you. You just happen to be a pawn in the middle. This is God and Satan. Satan wants glory. God's not going to give it to him. And he used us, that's how he got in. He snuck in like a snake, right, through Adam and Eve and took the glory that God gave us for a season. Now, we know through Christ, we get it back. Amen, right? If you'll suffer with me, you'll have glory in me. Who was who it? We were just talking about this. If you suffer, you will have glory in me. We're going we're gonna to be glorified with Christ in eternity. Not just Jesus glorified, but we'll be glorified with him. Isn't that amazing? But for a season, Satan is uh, ruling this world, this realm, and he's wreaking havoc. But let me tell you something. It doesn't matter that all of the kingdoms fail and fall. All that we need to do is stand and say, I'm going to close the doors. I'm closing the gates. You're not coming in these doors. You're not coming in these gates and I, you know what? I made mistakes. I should have never given you those parts of my life that I did. But you know what? I'm going to turn some things around. And that's why Chronicles didn't even write down Hezekiah's mistake. Because it wasn't even, because God doesn't remember our sin. Amen. So he's, he goes before the Lord. He hears this taunt. Like I said, it goes on in chapter 18. It's a big, long taunt. And he's telling him, don't listen, as I was saying. And, and, and then in, ver in chapter 19, Hezekiah, he hears this report. He tears his clothes, verse uh, 1 and 5 and 7, a whole bunch of verses here. I'm just going to blend them together. He comes up into the temple of the Lord. And in verse 6, Isaiah says, don't be disturbed by this blasphemous speech against me. Amen. And in verse 7, he says, I, will, I myself will move against him. And the king will receive a message that he is needed at home. Now listen, God allowed him to conquer the northern tribes because they refused to repent. But when God heard this taunt against the people of God who actually were his people, listen, the enemy, it seems like he's allowed to do evil things. People say, why is there evil in the world? That's such a big 
The, that question is something, it's the wrong question. And it, it's, it's such a big question to just give you some flippant, blatant, you know, some little simple answer. Well, because if there wasn't evil, then how could there be good? I mean, that's just, that's a really dumb answer. Maybe, maybe that's an answer, but that's not it. That's the wrong question. The real question is, why haven't you turned to Christ, who, even though there's evil in the world, and even though there is death, that Jesus overcame death, Jesus overcame sin, and there's eternity ahead of this place that neither moth and rust can destroy, neither thief can break and steal. That's the question. Let me give you, as Jesus would do many times, they would ask him questions, and he never answered the question. He would always give them another question. And I'm going to ask them a question. Why are you so focused on what Satan has done or is doing in the earth? Instead, why are you so focused on what he's done in this nation so far or who he's put in the presidency or whatever? Stop focusing on what Satan's doing and instead get in my presence and call on me because that same Satan that seems like he's allowed to do whatever, when he comes up against a person that seeks God, who's put God first and put God in the right place, he will not stand against you. Amen. And that's what happens. Praise God. So it says, it says, he returned. He's, actually, God pronounces a judgment through Isaiah. He's going to be killed in his own land. He's going to go back. He's going to receive a letter. He's going to go back. And so just for time, because we don't have time here, you can read this in your own time. Go to 2 Kings chapter 19 and just read through it. Because uh, he begins, God actually, uh, Hezekiah cries out to God. And he's spitting off all the things about how God, you know, this is what he's saying, but God, you're this. And then God is saying things like, you know, uh, he only is able to do what he's been doing because I've allowed it. That's in verse 25. I've planned it. And he says, but the problem is now that even though I allowed it, he says, this, this entity thinks that he's going to stand against you, uh, my people. And so he says, Verse 32, chapter 19, his armies will not enter Jerusalem. They will not even shoot an arrow at it. They will not march out inside its gates and with their shields, nor, nor build banks of earth against its walls. That night, verse 35, the angel of the Lord went out to the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. And when the surviving Assyrians woke up the next morning, they found corpses everywhere. And in verse 36, and they flee, uh, King Sennacherib of Assyria broke camp, returned to his own land. And in uh, verse 37, it says, he was worshiping in the temple of his God. Of course he was. That's exactly where it needs to happen, right? Because that's the whole problem. That's this whole issue is that he had his God. He didn't realize uh, who God really was. And so it says that his sons killed them, killed him with their swords. And... The Bible says very confidently and firmly that it says that Hezekiah, let me just read this verse again. It says in 2 Chronicles chapter 32, Hezekiah encouraged the people somewhere in the midst of all this. Uh, uh, Hezekiah, he puts some things in order. He seeks God. He doesn't just seek God. He doesn't just get in his presence. But actually, if you read in 2 Chronicles chapter 32, 
Uh, Hezekiah actually did a lot of action things, right, Jeannie, right? Put some things in action, and he actually stops the flow of the springs. He goes and, so that they wouldn't have water outside. So he's like, fine, you're going to be out there. You're not going to have water. Then he builds walls, and he builds towers, and then finally, and he builds weapons, and then he appoints soldiers at the gates, and then Hezekiah encourages them, verse 7, 2 Chronicles 32, verse 7, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria or his mighty army, for there is a power far greater on our side. He may have a great army, but they are merely men. We have the Lord our God to help us to fight our battles for us, and Hezekiah's words greatly encouraged the people. Amen. What a powerful, powerful story, but this is not just a story. We're not just reading a Bible story and being encouraged. Wow, look what Hezekiah did. Listen, Satan is trying to trap us, try to get us to open our doors, open our gates, let down our walls. We need to be a people that come back to the things of God, seeking God. This is what he's been calling for this year, this whole month I've been preaching on about getting back into his presence, a wholehearted seeking, someone that's really calling on him and seeking him. And the enemy will try. He will come to your gates, and I could get really get into so many parallels here. He'll just come back, and he'll come back, and he'll come back. But I thank the Lord that when we stand, when we, when we stand in God's presence, when we stand in his authority, when we get into his presence, when we seek the Lord and we call on him, I thank you, Lord, just like this chapter. And I'll just make this a prayer as we close. Lord, I thank you that just like Hezekiah, that we've been praying, we're seeking in this church. We've been calling on you. We are a seeking church. I thank you, Lord, that where the enemy has come and pounded against the gates of this nation, and pounded against the gates of our families, and pounded against the gates of our marriages and our children and our workplaces. I thank you, Lord. The Bible says that Hezekiah spread out his taunts, just spread it out before you. Lord, it's your battle. This is not my battle. This is yours. And I'm going to get before you and believe, thank you, Lord, that you're going to do it in my life just as you did in Hezekiah's life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Bless you.